0: Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, June 12th, 2021. It's just after, well, it's actually 2.22 UTC as we're recording this. Uh, So exciting. Like whenever I have the interesting numbers to point out on the UTC, I have to do it. Anyway, I am Sam Minter. Yvonne is not with us today. He had something come up for work, or I don't even know if it was work or home or whatever. He just messaged me that he couldn't do it this week and find a substitute. So one of our substitutes who comes in a lot is, well, a lot, a few times a year, uh, is Ed. And Ed is here. Hello, Ed.
1: Hello. And I just noticed when you were talking about 222 that it was 2222 here by uh, military accounting.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. And uh yeah, so so it's 222 UTC, which means where I am on the west coast of the United States, it's actually 722. Well, now it's 723. And uh where Ed is, it is uh 10 twenty three so yeah, uh, amazing how time zones work anyway uh, we we have an agenda we have two main topics for today, um which will be the inve- the the th- news broke over the last couple of days of the Trump Department of Justice uh, investigating a whole bunch of uh, congressional Democrats who were involved in the investigations against Donald Trump. We're going to talk a bit about those and everything surrounding them, because it's part of a bigger picture, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And, of course, we're going to have another update on the pandemic and things related to that. Um, you know, uh, it, it's the developments on that front are not super rapid this week, but, you know, we'll update anyway. Um, but we're going to do one of these but first segments at the beginning of the show. And I will start with, since we have Ed with us, and we only get to talk to Ed, like, what, apparently every six months, uh, how, how have the last six months gone, Ed? Are you, are you having a great time? Did you run any more marathons? Did you climb any more mountains? What else is going on in your life?
1: I, I have uh, not climbed any major mountains, uh, and unfortunately, I've re-injured my, my uh, uh, well, this time it's the right hamstring muscles so i'm not running at all now but i'm doing a lot of walking the hamstring apparently is only involved in running uh and i can walk as far as i want today i did a seven mile hike uh with no difficulty but if i try to run within three steps i'm on the ground
0: yeah that's not (laughs) a good idea then (laughs) yeah yeah on the other
1: hand I've, i've done a bunch of things and because i'm so old uh, even, even though I'm uh, walking instead of running, I'm still placing, uh, in the top two or three in my age group.
0: <laughs> Very nice. And, and for those of you who don't remember from previous times, uh, Ed has been on the reason I ask about these things is that one, uh, how long is, was it last year, the year before where you went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro?
1: It's uh, actually two and a half years ago now. Two and a
0: half years—it's time flies. But uh,
1: did did it with my son and two of my grandsons.
0: Very nice, and uh, and in between, uh, Ed has told us various times about various uh, uh, runs or walks or various other things that he's involved in. That, as he just said, you know, he's he's uh, placing near the top in his age group on a regular basis, still. (laughs) So, which is great.
1: That's that's. It's easy to be in the top three if there's only one or two of you in the age group. <laughs> and this uh, later this month, uh, John and I are going to be doing for, I think, about the eighth or ninth time, a clothing optional run that we do uh, once or twice a year each year up in the Poconos.
0: Excellent, so excellent.
1: It's, it's much easier doing it that way because uh, as you sweat, you actually lose weight instead of the sweat all gathering <laughs> up in your clothing to so get lighters to go uh, that
0: that that's excellent and uh i i applaud you for it um I, I i've mentioned on our curmudgeon's corner slack but i don't think on the podcast itself that the place where ed uh does this clothing optional run in uh eastern pennsylvania i actually visited once like 25 years ago myself uh and uh you know it was it was fun I didn't go there for the run. I just went there for like a, a day visit and to check it out. And uh, you know, it was, it was cool. I enjoyed it. Um and uh you know I, I'm sorry I didn't go back again like uh to to that place. Uh you know, but it was it is fun, it's an interesting thing to do, um, you know, and uh, you know, more power to you.
2: <laughs>
0: so uh, you know, um so I'll tell you. Um, I'd I'd asked Ed before, like uh, any other things he had for sort of the um, the fun, miscellaneous, but first part of the segment, um, and I, you know I. I, I, I uh, aside from the update he just gave, uh, uh, if if you have anything else, go for it, Ed. Otherwise, I guess, you know, I haven't, it's been a few weeks since I've done a a movie or TV or whatever. Uh, and so I've got one of those I I can do. I've actually, we still have a backlog. I think I've got actually, uh, there's seven that are actually on the official list on the curmudgeon's corner slack where we keep track of potential topics. Uh, and there's one more I haven't added there yet. Uh, so I will, I will do that if you have no objections, uh, Sounds,
1: so, sounds good. The only only reading I've done lately is The Collected Works of P.G. Wodehouse, uh, which is about 8,000 pages long. So that's sort of taking care of all of my reading.
0: Well, <laughs> did, did you finish it?
1: Uh, no, I still got about 1,500 pages to go. And then oh, okay. I started, well, started I, a couple I, other books. But I, I, uh, I was going to say,
0: like, if you've finished it, then I want the review now. But if you're not done yet, we'll we'll wait until you've actually finished it.
1: Well, it's uh, it's about 10 or 15 novels and a bunch of short stories and a bunch of it's It's all of his works. He was a wonderful uh, writer from the um, early 1900s.
0: Well, there you go. Um, so I'll tell you the movie, the next movie on my list. And oh, my, I just realized I don't have the date that I watched it. Let me dig that up real quick, because, of course, I log everything, because I do. Uh da, 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 da. January 2nd, 2021. So we are now in this year. Um, And I guess it was, you know, it is during the New Year's break, essentially. You know, we'd had New Year's Day. I'm still cooling off from that. Anyway, so I think I'd mentioned on the show before that we'd been going through some sort of classic time travel movie stuff with Alex. Uh, So we'd watched the Back to the Future trilogy. Well... Well, the other sort of classic time travel 1980s-ish thing would of course be Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh from 1989, and of course there's now a trilogy of that as well. There were two from, you know, way back then, and then a new one that actually just came out last year that I haven't seen yet. So we figured we'd go through that trilogy as well. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we watched uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, have you have have you seen that Ed? It's uh, I
1: I have never seen that one. No, y-
0: you have never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, you know, I, I'm I'm actually going to end up. I, I'll tell you right now. I'm giving this a thumbs sideways. Not a thumbs up, you know, and and not a thumbs down either. But, you know, I'm giving it a thought sideways because even though it's sort of an 80s classic that everybody's sort of like, ooh, Bill and Ted, blah, 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 blah. um, I kind of feel it has, you know, upon rewatching it, I didn't feel it aged that well. You know, it was, it's very much a movie of its time. Um, and also, just and, and maybe this is just sort of my tastes as a now almost 50 year old. Um, yeah, you know, the kind of humor it had um, what's the right way to call co- it? It's, so- it's sophomoric humor. Okay. Um, with, <laughs> I think it was then too. Yeah, pro- I'm sure it was, you know, but you know, <laughs> I was closer to actually being a sophomore myself. So it matched up, you know. <laughs> um, You know, and and so it's just sort of silly humor and, you know, cheap jokes, and it it very rapidly moves from one thing to another, and it really doesn't have much depth to it, and of course that's not what you're there for, right? It's, It's just a silly movie, and I guess along those lines, it's a good silly movie, but even though I gave it a thumb sideways, Ed, I feel like if you've never seen it, maybe you should because because it is one of those like you know cultural touchstones of that era um meaning like the late 80s early 90s it, it, the first movie was from 1989 uh the second movie was from 1991 and then skip a few years the third movie was from 2020 so um but um <laughs> but yeah you know i i i wanted to like be really excited about. It. I mentioned, you know, like uh, when talking about the Back to the Future trilogy with Yvonne, that I like sort of the, you know, timey-wimey stuff, where you have timelines interacting with each other and all of that. And this certainly has that. Um, for, for those of you, for anybody out there who doesn't know the basic plot of Bill and Ted, okay, Bill and Ted are high school students they're kind of dumb high school students. They have, you know, a rock band that they're trying to practice for. Well, it's just the two of them. But they're they're trying to practice in their garage and stuff and but they're not, they're not really very good. They're not good in school. They're kind of losers. Um and, you know, they're one of them, or if not and both of them maybe. I think de- definitely uh doesn't really matter. One or the other of them uh, is failing their history class. And if they fail their history class, they won't be able to graduate, etc., etc., etc. And so as they are talking about this situation, dealing with this situation, whatever, um, th- their assignment basically asks them to describe how three historical figures would view the modern world. And as they're talking about this, a time traveler from the future shows up in a phone booth and offers to help them because them passing that history class is apparently crucial to the entire, you know, future because the entirety of future civilization ends up revolving around the songs that their band is going to do over time. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so then basically uh you know the 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 you know they they encountered their future selves briefly uh which is interesting. Um and then they go back in time collecting historical figures, bring them back to the present uh to to produce their grand presentation for their history class where they actually like, you know, bring in Napoleon, Billy the Kid, Socrates, uh, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, Abraham Lincoln to do part of their history presentation for them, <laughs> and yeah, you know, that that that's the basic themes. And there, there's there's more going on. I'm not I'm not. I guess to some degree I spoiled it by saying you know they actually bring them f- to the future successfully, but. Anyway, so that that's the theme and you can see why that would be silly. There's a whole bunch of little things about how these the these various historical figures interacting with each other, what happens when the kids from the present go back to the past to collect these folks and get into various predicaments. Also when they bring them to the future, they have a whole bunch of time to kill before the the presentation they have to give at school, so they take them to the mall and you know, how does you know how does beethoven react to being in a california mall in the 1980s you know thing, <laughs> you know things like that um and it's very silly and i you know i feel bad giving it a thumb sideways but i just like i didn't feel it in the same way like and i don't remember like i wasn't like a super fan of this thing back when it was new either but you know it it, it, it gets so much sort of nostalgia thrown at it as an important eighties movie amongst other important eighties movies that I guess I feel bad for the thumb sideways, but really like, you know, back to the future, I watched it again and it still felt fresh. This I watched and I'm like, Oh, okay. I I, I can see why that was kind of funny, but like it didn't, it didn't grab me the same way. And that's why I give it the thumb sideways. And I, I have not yet watched the other two uh, items in this, uh, in this series yet. Uh, we'll get to them eventually. Um, so, wait, a- Alex, huh? what did you think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I think my computer is freezing for no reason. Okay, well, that's a non answer for you. Yeah, anyway, so um, yeah, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, yeah. So, you, you mentioned a TV show. What was the TV show you're enjoying at the moment?
1: When we finished it, the, the, the Shits Creek.
0: I have not watched the show. I know nothing about it, so tell what is the premise of the show, and do you give it a thumbs up, thumbs down or some or th- thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs sideways
1: yeah this i I would give it a definite thumbs up it was a it's a, a very wealthy family, and the guy has made some horrible investments And at the beginning of the series I think it was about two or three seasons that it went on but anyway the uh they're getting kicked out of their mansion because everything that he owns is being repossessed the only thing that somehow escapes uh repossession is that he bought a town a number of years earlier for some reason and the town's name is Shits Creek okay so he and the family go to Shits Creek which is a, a little tiny uh, rural community somewhere in the in in the semi desert sort of thing and, uh, and it's their subsequent adventures living in a motel that, that he also owns because he owns the whole town of uh, uh, Schitt's Creek. And it just, it's incredibly funny. The, uh, the, the, each one of the family are entirely—the the wife is a, uh, a former actress who believes that she still is a great actress. Uh, the man is an industrialist who has obviously gone bankrupt— uh, and the two kids are uh, beyond bizarre, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's somehow it all comes together. And all these people who ought to hate each other and, and fight are always gentle with each other. <laughs> they, they tolerate each each of their idiosyncrasies and, and get along, and, and you kind of get come to like them all.
0: So is it is it more is it more straight up comedy or is it one of these dramedies where it's funny but it, there's sort of Dramatic events happening too, and it the plot extends over time. There's not much
1: drama in it, although it 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 addresses some serious issues of sexuality and and marriage and uh, uh, honesty and integrity and and all those sorts of things. But I I would say it's uh it's it's comedy, but without just uh uh, uh in, any line to get a laugh sort of thing. It's comedy that is uh, kind of kind of well-thought-out and
0: well-performed uh, comedy. So let, let me read the... Uh, here Here is uh, the description from Wikipedia. Shits Creek is a Canadian television sitcom created by father and son Eugene and Dan Levy that aired on CBC television... From January 13th, 2015 to April 7th, 2020, it consists of 80 episodes spread over 6 seasons, so a few more than you thought. Uh oh, yeah. produced by not a real company productions and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the series follows the formerly wealthy Rose family's trials and tribulations. After Rose's business manager embezzles em, after Rose's business manager embezzles the family business, Rose Video the family loses its fortune and relocates to Schitt's Creek, a small town they once purchased as a joke. Now living in a motel, Johnny Rose, Eugene Levy, and Moira Rose, Catherine O'Hara, along with their adult children, David, Dan Levy, and Alexis, Anne Murphy, must adjust to life without money and with each other. There you go. <laughs> and uh, apparently at the 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards, the series' final season swept all seven major comedy awards. Yeah. So, um, so people agree thumbs up on this so i guess i should add this to my list to maybe someday watch too
1: we, we kind of binge watched it over a couple weeks and it, 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 we enjoyed it enough that i did not realize that it had been a six years worth of uh of, of seasons it, <laughs> uh, it just felt much shorter than that
0: <laughs> yeah well 80 80 episodes total so there you go yeah. um so uh, I think that's uh, you know, I, I had a few other backup but first things to talk about, but I think we're good. Okay. Um, so let's take a break. Um, and when we come back, we'll take on the first of our serious topics, uh, which is uh this whole thing about the Trump DOJ. Sounds good. Uh, go going after Democrats and and actually it attaches to an earlier story where they were going after the press, um, and then what the current. Uh, Justice Department is or is not doing about this and a whole bunch of other things. So, we'll be back right after this. Alex M. dot com Alex and Dad. Gaming videos and more from Alex. Elementary School by day. YouTube by night. Alex M. dot com. is a L E X M X E L A and dot com is period and then C O M. Okay, we are back. Uh, so let's talk briefly to summarize the situation. A few weeks back, uh, there started to be reports that a whole bunch of journalists um, had had their phone records and other records subpoenaed by the Trump Department of Justice um uh and, and this is all part of leak investigations early in the Trump uh administration so uh right right at the very beginning i mean we're we're talking 2017 uh there were a number of prominent cases where Things leaked out about what people were talking about in terms of the Russia investigation, a few other things. If you remember, there was a series of, there was a, you know, there were there were quite a few things. The, the very, I mean, not that the Trump administration ever lacked for leaks, but the first few months of the Trump administration were really bad. <laughs> you know, we kept hearing about one thing or another, but specifically, these were related— um, Not to the kinds of leaks that seemed like they came directly from the administration, but leaks related to some of the investigations of Trump-Russia. Because, you know, very early on, um, there, you know, there was the whole thing about um, Sessions recusing and then we fired Comey, not we, Trump fired Comey. Um, and then, uh, we started up the special counsel investigation and then all, all kinds of things were spinning up related to that. Um, and there were a number of leaks about that and the, and Trump was furious and wanted to like dig into those and find the leakers. Um, and like I said, we found out a a, a while back now, I, th- I said a few weeks, but maybe it was even longer, uh, about these subpoenas, uh, not directly to the journalists, but to like their their phone companies, their internet providers, all of this kind of stuff looking for records as part of digging into this. And there was already outrage over this because, you know, generally speaking, uh DOJ policy has been to treat journalists in that situation somewhat with kid kid gloves. I mean technically speaking if if um if leaks are of classified information, it may actually be a crime. And so they are investigating that crime and they go, you know, they're trying to find out who the leaker is, right? Um, now, some of these things, it's unclear to me what's classified and what's just sensitive and blah, blah, blah. And that may affect the legality. But, you know, they were going after the journalists. People were already upset about that. The new development in the last few days uh, is that apparently they were also throwing around these subpoenas, uh, specifically has been reported to Apple to get like iCloud accounts and all this kind of stuff. Um, But undoubtedly, there's more uh, for people in the House Intelligence Committee. And so far, all the names have come out are, of course, of Democrats on the committee um, and uh, and even like and some of their staff and even one of the children of one of the people on the staff who was a minor at the time. Uh, And 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 so, of course, massive outrage because, you know, you're you know, this looks to be politically motivated. Um, Yes, there was potentially a crime if something was leaked that was classified, that there were legal restrictions on the person that leaked it, Um, but it, it certainly seems like, from all the bits we're hearing, that this wasn't a matter of a prosecutor impartially following the evidence where it leads. Instead, it seems to be essentially the president or his direct associates saying, go look into this guy. Must be him. Go investigate them. Um, Because this started when Sessions was attorney general, um, and then apparently the investigations all ended without finding any crime that was uh, chargeable. Um, And then when Barr came in, he reopened it and started it again. Yeah. Um. So, so that's the basic scenario, and we can get into all the things surrounding that. But, uh, what's your immediate reaction to all this, Ed?
1: I, <laughs> it's it's not surprised at all because it's it's kind of what you expect.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And and it's uh you know. I, I don't know if it if it's criminal type of stuff. I, I, Trump sort of thought it was criminal because he accused the Obama administration of having done that to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out that they did not, but that's exactly what he was and then he clearly has done it and it's pretty well documented that he did it at this point. Uh,
0: well, as, as usual, it seems like you know absolutely everything Trump ever accuses other people of turns out to be projection of things he's doing it himself uh it, it time after time it seems to be a fairly reliable assumption uh you know yeah so so yeah i I think you're right I mean fundamentally, of course this isn't surprising. We all assumed Trump was doing this and his justice department was doing this There's a famous clip. Of Kamala Harris specifically asking Barr, you know had he ever been asked by anybody in the White House to investigate people, and he's completely flummoxed by the question
1: yeah like, because he couldn't answer it
0: no he couldn't he couldn't answer it he's like what did you mean by that um i, I well you know exactly like that yeah he just yeah. starts like yammering and uh can't answer coherently and sort of when he does sort of give a partial answer he sort of mumbles under his breath and it's because of course you were asked to do this stuff senator harris
2: thank you mr chairman uh, attorney general Barr, has the president or anyone at the white house ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone
0: um i wouldn't i wouldn't uh yes or no
2: Could you you repeat that question? I will repeat it. Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir.
0: Um,
2: The president or anybody else?
0: Seems you'd remember something like that and be able to tell us. Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. I mean, there have been discussions of of matters out there that... uh, they have not asked me to open an investigation, but...
2: Perhaps they've suggested?
1: I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. Hinted?
2: Like, I don't know. Inferred? You don't know. Okay.
0: You know, and we all... And, and like, even if... And in, in part of what he was trying to get at is, uh, you know, when he was trying to prevaricate on that question was, you know, well, what... We're, are you talking about being asked directly? Yeah <laughs> you know, and Kamala Harris is like, well, you know, in any way, was it implied? Well, he's, was it suggested? He's was it enough
1: a... lawyer to know he couldn't take the fifth because he wasn't being accused of a crime? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he answered honestly, then it was a catastrophe. If he lied, then then he could be charged with uh, uh, perjury. And uh, so his choice was to what he did, which was not answer the question. He didn't take the fifth. He just didn't answer the question.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and look, and, and Trump was saying this stuff publicly, whether or not he said it in private to Barr or Sessions or anybody else, he was freaking going on TV and on Twitter demanding these investigations. Yep you know so it, it it's one of those things where you know during the Trump administration we said over and over and over again that there was so much done that was improper be- that because that because it was done wide open in public with no even attempt to hide it people just sort of ignored it whereas if if you found like the hidden audio tape of him saying this in secret behind closed doors you know it might have blown up more but it, it, he says it in public in front of everybody and then suddenly it's a it's a non story or you know more to a point and as is almost everything in the last you know 4 plus years now uh whenever anything comes up regarding Donald Trump and these kinds of behaviors uh immediately the whole country goes into their corners and all of the trump side folks are like yes yeah, so what he you know this is nothing he's he's joking or he didn't mean it or he did mean it and so what because that's his right as president or and, and meanwhile the the folks on the other side are like tearing their hair out but but can't make any traction on it um and 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 rinse and repeat right i mean the difference here though uh is that now at least in theory We've got we've got a Biden Justice Department. We've got. Um, Mer-
1: oh, what we have is a Garland Justice Department.
0: Well, yes, yes, we have Merrick we have Merrick Garland now in the Justice Department, and so the question has come up: like some of the people involved in signing off on these subpoenas are still at are still at the Justice Department. Now, as as career people who you know, did this and, you know, there's the question of, is it proper? Is it not? And there is apparently going to be an inspector general's investigation into this. Uh, There may be congressional investigations into this. Uh, The House uh, Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, who's in charge of this, uh, has basically given a statement to the, you know, uh, has basically given an ultimatum to the Justice Department that that says basically, clean up your old, clean up your own house fast or we're going to start digging in from our side. Um, And I don't know, like this is the next in a series of decisions from Garland who that, that, you know, on the surface of them are like, what are you doing? Because it's basically continuing to, stand up for or defend or whatever like Trump administration stuff that happened and continue to sort of block and inv- block sort of investigations and things coming to a full light of day. And, you know, the, the, the straight up um, explanation and Yvonne and I talked about this a very small amount last week is that, you know, they're defending the prerogatives of the presidency, regardless of who the president is. And so for instance, they are, You know, taking Trump's side in the in the lawsuit of the woman who accused him of uh, of raping her, and he he denied it and called her a liar at a press conference. So she was suing for defamation. And so the defense is, well, when he denied it, he was acting in his office as president. So instead of him being the defendant, the justice department wants to step in and be the defendant instead. And then of course they would claim sovereign immunity or something and it would go away. Uh, They're doing that. They also um, resisted. uh, They appealed, um, a court order to release some documents relating to how Barr handled the Mueller report, um, and each of these, like if you if you look at it sort of straight up, you can sort and apparently and, and, I should say, and apparently even in this case, some of the subpoenaing of people involved in those leaks in the early Trump administration, some of the legal processes associated with that were continuing up through the last couple weeks, um, and they had not been stopped by the new administration, uh, in any way. And, uh, and, and they had, and the current DOJ has been resisting continued inquiries from these, con- from these congressional committees to give more information or to tell what's going on. Um, and again, like the, the simple explanation for this is, look, they're going to defend the prerogatives of the department of the administration. Uh, they're, they're going to defend the prerogatives of the executive branch regardless. Because any sort of diminution of that that you get by uh, just saying, oh, okay, sure, you can see that, uh, potentially becomes part of the you know precedent over time of what is expected in the future. And the next thing could be You know, some random thing that, you know, is being asked of the Biden administration by the Republicans two years from now, once they get Congress again or whatever. Um, Now, my take on that is actually like, look, the executive branch is actually way too strong and needs some like cutting down on that. You know, the. Congress's prerogatives need to grow in, with respect to the presidency, not the other way around. The presidency needs to be more deferential in these cases. And a lot of the places where you know, executive privilege or other privileges related to this have, have been exerted are, are way too expansive as they're currently used. And so it would be fine to reduce that a little bit. But, you know, if you're just going to take up a, we're going to defend um, the, the strong executive, no matter what, I, I guess I see where those positions come from. But at the same time, you know, look, people, you know, we just got out of four years of what was clearly, you know, if one of the most, if not the most corrupt Corrupt administrations in American history—that was misusing their power all over the place for all kinds of different reasons. And you know, Yvonne and I mentioned last week there's there's apparently been no appetite whatsoever for codifying in law some of the norms that were broken by the Trump administration. But digging into that stuff and understanding what happened and what we can do to prevent it from happening in the future is actually quite important. Um, and I think one of the things that before before Biden was sworn in uh, that we talked about a little bit was, you know how aggressive will the Biden administration be about going after things that happened in the trump administration And I think both Yvonne and I agreed that even though we might like it to be otherwise, the most likely result was that the administration would do everything in their power to do very similarly to what the Obama administration did with W's uh, administration, which is look forward, not back. You know, they just don't want to get into that mess. They don't want to set the pres- the precedent of administrations uh, investigating their predecessors, uh, because again, you know, even if you do it righteously right now, it potentially sets a precedent, and and you just. You know, you're going to expect every administration to be. Uh, every time there's a party switchover, you're going to expect investigations of the previous administration, and it would just become the, the the normal thing that happens from that on, from then on. And you know, I understand that, but at the same time, you can't leave this stuff alone. You you can't yeah. just leave it with no consequences whatsoever, because that also sends. That also sets a precedent for the future. That also sends a message to all future presidents that they can do whatever the hell they want, and there will be no consequences.
1: Well, my my hope is that what we're seeing is that they're they're not going to go after a lot of the the smaller things like the rape, not actually it was the defamation charge and that sort of thing. Uh, they're not going to go after those because that's the sort of thing that banana republics well, do. Well, but
0: but here's the thing. Uh, Let's take an example of that one. This is not them uh, going after Trump for the rape. Yeah. This is the Justice Department proactively saying Donald Trump should not be the defendant in this case. The federal government should be, and and letting him off the hook.
1: My guess is that Garland does not – since since the previous administration said we're going to do this, he's not willing to just go and, and turn over everything done by them and say, no, that we're, this is new administration and it's new rules because that creates a sense of unease and, and uh, dissociation that's probably not good. On the other hand, I, I'm guessing – at least I'm hoping – that they're in the process of looking into the, the major crimes that were committed. And there really were some major crimes committed uh, uh, in in Ukraine and uh, and all sorts of other places. And I, I'm still not at all convinced But what Trump is going to be uh, indicted at some point for federal crimes. I'm almost positive that the state of New York's going to indict him for state crimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, but, I suspect that's the division. And that's, you know, Yvonne and I talked about this however many times, that I I would actually be surprised if there were active federal investigations into, you know, maldeeds by the previous administration specifically. Like, uh, I think anything that's going to happen is going to be at the state level, and it's not going to be about sort of, you know, administration officials misusing their power. Uh, let alone the president misusing his power. It's going to be about unrelated crimes. You know, the, oh, yes, you know New, New York is going after things that happened with Trump's taxes. Georgia is looking into whether he interfered with the election. Uh, I guess that did happen while he was president. But, the, you know, they're, they're going after those kinds of things. Whereas what I am talking about in, is, and again, it's not necessarily about things that are actually illegal. Because most of these things about, you know, like the whole thing about like the DOJ not going after members of the other party or the press, that's not a law. You know, and frankly, of course, if there is a crime, they should be going after those people, right? Um, it's, It's about the norm that says it's not okay for the president to directly, you know, instruct Either I said directly, it's not okay whether it's direct or indirect for the president to be indicating to the Department of Justice, hey, I don't like that guy, go investigate them. And that's the norm. And is that illegal? Probably not. Is it unethical? Is it wrong? Yes. And we should know about the de- – I, I don't know. Uh, Greg or one of our other lawyer listeners may correct me and say, actually, there is a law that, against this. But, but you know, frankly, if there is, it's it's unenforceable because it's a president. As we just found out over the last four years, you know, if the president does co- you know commit a crime, there's nothing you can do about it other than impeachment. And impeachment doesn't work unless you've got, you know, one party mm-hmm. – uh, controlling the House and two-thirds of the Senate, you know? Well, the
1: other, the other thing that stops it is if you have an attorney general with some balls. Yes. Uh, you know, when Nixon ordered the the, the attorney general's office to, to do some things that were illegal, they stood up and said no. Yeah. Sessions uh, tried to say no. As much as I dislike the man and find him abominable, he did try to say no, and he got fired. And, and then we got Barr, who— Quite frankly, I I thought was going to be a decent guy. His previous reputation had not been bad, but he's as bad as Trump. I mean, the, the guy is just has no sense of uh, of perspective and right and wrong.
0: Yeah, and, and and so where where I want to get to it with these investigations or whatever happens isn't necessarily like criminal prosecutions or something. Although obviously, if a crime was committed, I'd love to see those. But it's more just sort of like. Let's find out legitimately exactly what happened. And if things were happening that were legal, but really shouldn't have been happening, let's consider what we can do to put laws in place or other mechanisms in place to make it very difficult for those things to happen again in the future. Yeah. I mean that's essentially what happened after Watergate. I mean there were all kinds of abuses uncovered uh, after Watergate in terms of how Nixon and Johnson and Kennedy before him were misusing the FBI, were misusing the IRS, were using those directly for political purposes and going after their enemies and things like that. And the, the counter reaction to that was were very strong cultural changes. This whole notion that, you know, the attorney general shouldn't really be talking to the president about like specifics of cases and stuff like that came out of that, you know, yep. and and what Trump basically did was rip all that apart again and say, no, yeah, the Department of Justice is, you know, my instrument and I'm going to send them after who I want them to send them. I'm going to send them after whoever I want. And if, if there's somebody doing something illegal that I don't have a problem with because they're my friends, I'm going to do my best to send the Department of Justice the other way.
1: <laughs> you know, or, the or pardon them or whatever. About to all sorts of crooks.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the kind of thing, like at the very least, I just want the, the, the disinfectant properties of the light of day to really dig in and understand what's happening. And then also, you know, as I started this segment talking about some of the people involved in this are actually still in the department of justice right now. And if it's found that they indeed, you know, took actions Based on political motivations, then those should, those people should all be fired yesterday.
1: Well, they should be charged. You know, subpoenas are are not supposed to just be given out, they're supposed to have some legal suspicion and, and evidence. There's not just a blind fishing expedition. And these were basically breaking and entering.
2: Do, do, do. Sometime after we recorded this episode, Ed made a similar point on our curmudgeon's corner slack about how subpoenas are not to be used as fishing expeditions. Our listener Greg, who is no longer an actively practicing lawyer, but who did graduate from law school a while back, replied with the following. Actually, subpoenas like these are typically used for fishing expeditions, depending on how one defines that, and there's virtually no legal protection against them being requested by law enforcement. Because they only requested the metadata and not the content, the only standard was about the same as any other subpoena or civil discovery, which is that the records might be relevant to an investigation, or in a civil action, to the case. In this instance, it appears the metadata provided no meaningful information, and they didn't request the actual content, which does require a judicial order. It's all a bit asinine but the general idea is that by availing yourself of the services of a third party, those records actually belong to the third party, Apple in the case of the story, and not the user. All of which traces back to applying pen registers and trap-in trace devices to gather phone numbers called, which were then extended to bank records, giving rise to the third-party doctrine. This was my primary area of focus in law school. I even keep a pen register on my mantle. Okay. With that out of the way, back to the show. Do do do. Yeah,
0: I mean they, they were apparently the subpoenas were very broad, asking for like from Apple things like everything from the creation of the count to the present. Um now there you you could see potentially some very broad like why do we want it from these people? Um and because like it, you know, if a certain piece of information leaked, there's a certain small universe of people who would know that, uh, that piece of information. And so you could see potentially digging into those people. Uh, but then the question has been brought up lately, and I haven't heard the answer yet. Like, uh, for instance, where they thought there was a leak from the House Intelligence Committee, have did they subpoena the Republicans' records, too, or just the Democrats?
1: As far as I know, they did not. They only did—what's what, even— in my mind, at least as bad, maybe worse, is that they did this. They didn't find anything, and then they let out sort of insinuations against, specifically Mr. Schiff, uh, that uh, he committed these crimes. Uh, you know, so the fact that they issued a subpoena to get the material that then exonerated him uh, didn't. They basically said, "Gee, we think he did this crime; therefore, he's guilty." And they smeared the man's name. I mean, it was it's, it's incredible the smearings that they did.
0: And, yeah, and they
1: it, got away with it.
0: Yeah, uh, so far anyway. We'll see if anything happens here. I mean, one of you know, like I said, uh, the sort of I, I understand the balance here because and the, and why you want to say look forward, not back. Because frankly, if you're looking towards 2022 and 2024, one of the ways that Joe Biden could guarantee high Republican turnout and enthusiasm would be to spend his first two years going after Donald Trump. (laughs) You know, whether it was justified or not, whether there were actual crimes there or not, if it looked like... Joe Biden came in and immediately going after Donald Trump with everything we got that would enrage the right wing and we would hear about nothing else and it would spur turnout and enthusiasm and whatever. And look, you know, with with the general trend in midterms of the party in power losing ground, the Democrats The Democrats can't afford anything like that. And I guess there's somewhat of a gamble that, like, look, if the investigations turned up anything, like, really, really juicy, maybe the Republicans would lose some level of support. But, I mean, everything we've seen over the last five years indicates the contrary. Like, it, you know, you dig up something new that Donald Trump and his family and his staff did that was wildly inappropriate and only makes his people love him more.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, he was quite right. He said, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and uh, my people would still vote for him. Yeah. And that's just something very damning about our, our nation, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, but, you know, and, and so I understand the... Biden administration desire to keep themselves distanced from any anything that goes on there but that's also part of what you would hope the judicial independence was like that you could put in your new attorney general and they could follow the facts where they go and if there's something like that to dig into they dig <laughs> and they'd, and Biden could say look Unlike Donald Trump, I keep my hands off the attorney general. It's up to him. It's not up to me. Uh I you know, I intentionally distance myself. I haven't spoken to the man since the day I nominated him, you know? And 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 be done with it. Now would people believe that? No, probably not. But that that's one approach you could take, but we have Merrick, Merrick Garland who apparently is going completely the opposite direction at least so far and seems to be so obsessed about renormalizing the Department of Justice to not be a political instrument that he's overcorrecting in the other direction and basically going towards we're not gonna we're not gonna question what the Trump DOJ did. We're not gonna investigate that, we're not gonna investigate anybody in in, in Trump world, you know. Regardless, we're just going to stay away from that because, regardless of a, if it's justified or not, it looks like a political vendetta if we did it. So we're going to leave them alone. But again, that ends up letting up letting people off scot free. <laughs> um, and and and, and I just one last thing before we move on. To that again is also I think a key part of that though is is what I said before. A lot of the quote unquote wrongdoing during the Trump administration, was not actually illegal. It was simply, it was misuse of power. It was uh, unethical. It w- it contradicts my own personal sense of right or wrong. But, you know, and I, I certainly, I'm sure there were some things done that were actually illegal. But quite a few things, you know, again, the theme that we exposed over and over and over again during the Trump administration is, hey, you know that thing that people didn't do? You know, it turns out doing the opposite isn't actually illegal. <laughs> it's just you, we've got norms built up and we've got the, the sort of cultural inertia that says you just don't do that. But there's no actual law against it. And so if you get somebody in who doesn't give a shit, they can do all those things. And break, you know, break all those norms, shatter them to pieces. And that's, again, why I, And and a DOJ investigation is not the right way to uncover those type of issues. But we need something. We need something that really digs into that, figures out what worked and what didn't work, so that we can go change the things that didn't work to make it so next time somebody like Donald Trump gets into power and wants to do those things, they can't. Yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Anything else to say on that, Ed? Uh, not a whole
1: lot. No, not yet. It's it's still very early. I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, I it, it it's early and it's late. I mean, we're six months in, uh to the administration. Um, I guess well, five five months in. Yeah, I can't <laughs> count.
1: I, I think there's going to be some significant repercussions on these uh, on on these subpoenas. Uh, they they were inappropriate uh, and they were not uh, probably probably not legally defensible.
0: I feel like this is almost the same kind of thing as the Ukraine phone call for Trump. Yep. Where it was the first time there was something like the the Democrats really didn't want to go there. You know, Nancy Pelosi correctly sensed that it was a political loser and did not want to just spend all her time going after Donald Trump, even though he was doing all kinds of awful things.
1: Yeah, I still, I still don't understand why they didn't go after him for obstruction of justice.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it was a pure political calculation. Um, but the, you know, the, and all of that, um, I think that what happened with Ukraine was there was something so blatant and so obvious that the Democrats felt that as much as they were reluctant to move forward, and I I say they, but I want to distinguish, obviously there were there were some Democrats who were calling for Donald Trump's impeachment before the day he took office. Um, And there were quite loud Democrats talking about that. And I myself said, you know, the day he, you know, within an hour of him being sworn in the first time somebody checked in at the Trump Hotel, he was probably violating the emoluments clause and should have been impeached right there. But the, the majority of Democrats, including the Democratic leadership, did not want to go there. They dragged their feet repeatedly, even after they like you know, took over the Congress two years in. They went as slow as they possibly could. They showed no urgency whatsoever uh, on any of these investigations until, until the Ukraine thing sort of slapped them in the face and was so obvious they couldn't resist it anymore. And maybe this sort of falls into that category where even though the, the, I almost said Obama, even though the Biden administration wants to concentrate all their efforts looking forward, they'll be forced to dig into something because this is so blatant maybe so yeah okay uh let's take a break um, and then we'll talk about pandemic for a little while. Uh, you know, Yvonne and I have been talking about pandemic almost every week, uh, but we've got and and like I said, there's not a lot new, but we've got Ed here and Ed's uh, a retired doctor. So he's got a uh, good perspective on things pandemic. Uh, so we'll be back and we'll talk about how things are going and where we are, uh, both U.S. and worldwide. Uh, and we'll be back right after this. You're supposed to say do, do, do. Do, 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 Alex Emzela. Alex Emsola is awesome. Its videos are fun. And today, once again, we have one of our most loyal subscribers here to tell you how awesome Alex Emsola is. I'd say on a rate from 1 to 10, Alex Amzella is awesome at... <laughs> I don't know, 37, 82. He's pretty radical. His videos are phenomenal. They're full of creativity. And they're they're so funny and exciting to watch. Wow, what happened to your voice then, Amy? Was that dad pretending to be you because the audio was distorted when it really wasn't because I told him to? Yes.
1: Good job on remembering, dad do do do
0: Okay, we are back and it's time to talk pandemic. Um I'll just start out with a really basic thing on stats and then we'll get Ed's take on everything. Uh worldwide, uh the general trend in uh, average deaths per uh day has been going down uh for a while now. Uh it peaked like almost 2 months ago, I'm wanting to say. Um but But the last three days, as we're recording this, have been up again. Uh, But I want to give a caveat to that, too. I dug into into it a little bit in terms of, well, why are we heading back up again, and where's that coming from? It looks like one particular region or state—what are they called in India? Uh, Anyway, one particular area in India um, restated their numbers— Um, and reported a hunt, a bunch of deaths they hadn't reported earlier. And, uh, usually at, at the places that track the trends, once they figure out exactly what happened, when they get like a sudden spike like that, that really represents deaths that occurred over a longer period of time. They'll spread that spike out over the time and sort of retroactively smooth it over the time period that those deaths occurred. Uh, But that hadn't happened yet uh, as of when we're recording. Um, And so it looks like there was um, at least one day that was artificially high because of that kind of effect. Um, But there've been a couple of high days since then, Um, so there might be another little bump happening on the worldwide level. Um, it's too soon to see really like, is this, is this a real bump? Is it a temporary hiccup? Is it a whatever? Um, but the general trend has been down. If it actually starts reversing and going up, I'm sure we'll talk about it, uh, and be able to identify a little bit more where that was coming from. Um, at the moment, I'm not entirely sure it's not just a data glitch, uh, you know, based on late reporting, um, the U.S. Um, also is, is not going up, but seems to have the decline seems to have leveled off. Um, and uh, so, you know, for for the international, we there's a lot to say about um, you know vaccination present vaccination penetration being really low in many parts of the world, uh, various places. Uh, under-reporting, actually, because of health infrastructure. So we're probably not seeing everything there is to see. Um, Variants uh, developing, etc. In in the U.S., the story is a little bit different. Um, The vaccine penetration is relatively high compared to most of the world. But it's leveling off really quickly as we're getting to the point where everybody who really wanted the vaccines uh are, have either already gotten them or in the process like between their first or second shot or whatever um and the amount where that curve is continuing to go up is dramatically slowing down cuz you're now at the point where you're trying to get the stragglers who 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 don't want it um and also I should say I, that's an oversimplification there are the stragglers who don't want it and they're a major part of that there is still also an issue of many people who do want it but it's harder for them to arrange to get it because of various reasons. Um, And the administration has been doing all kinds of uh, outreach along those lines and trying to make it easier. But we're still getting to people who are harder to reach. Um, And the one thing that, you know, in terms of vaccination penetration, the one, it seems very clear uh, internationally that, you know, look, this is, you know the places with high vaccination are doing great. Um, the one area of concern I'm seeing worldwide right now is in the UK, um, which I, I'm looking uh, at their at, at vaccination presentation uh, at vaccination penetration. The UK just surpassed this week the U.S. for total share of the population fully vaccinated. Um, They are now at 42.5% compared to 42.3% here in the U.S., but they are seeing an uptick in hospitalizations, in in both cases and hospitalizations, uh, due to some of these new variants uh, that are widely spreading. They have not yet seen an increase in deaths, uh, which is a good sign because one of the things we're seeing over and over again uh, as we look internationally uh, is that as the vaccine penetration has increased and as most countries started with older people and worked their way down to younger people, uh, now a lot of the infections are happening in younger and younger people who are more likely to survive. So anyway, Ed, that was a long (laughs) enough introduction uh, what do you, what do you think of all the you know vaccinations, reopening, getting rid of masks, uh, people going back to normal because it's over? What do you what do you think of it all?
1: I, I I think well, there's so many things. I I think on the mask thing that that's the easiest. Uh, if people have been vaccinated, uh, I think it's kind of up to them whether or not they want to wear a mask. I, I have been vaccinated. I am choosing to wear a mask when I go into stores. Or when I go into places where there's going to be crowds, and that's because uh, I have a, a, a potential uh, uh, a weakening of my immune system, and I just don't want to take the risk. And, and masks are not uncomfortable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they're not a big deal. I simply, I have one that slips around my neck, and I just put it on whenever I go out of the house. I have it around my neck, and if I go in a store, I put it up over my face. Uh, if when I go through the gym just walking, I put it up over my face. Uh, when I get on a treadmill or something and start working out hard, then I take it down because I got have to breathe. Uh, but uh, so I think uh, we're at a point where uh, if those of us who have been immunized can choose whether or not to wear it. Unfortunately, the the very people who are not getting vaccinated. Are the ones who think that saying they ought to wear a mask is is going to kill them and uh, is an infringement upon liberty and everything else. So they're gonna not going to wear the masks and and they're going to get sick. There was a, there was some sort of a, a meeting a week or two ago. I forget where it was. I was reading about it, but uh, it, this was a meeting uh, that people had, and uh, several people out of that meeting. Th- th- and it wasn't th- this was hundreds-
0: uh, this was a Bitcoin convention in Florida. That's
1: what I- yeah, yeah, and several people came down with COVID at the, after that meeting. Well, you know that's not necessary. It shouldn't occur, uh, and it sort of makes the whole point that, that you need to stay apart from people uh, and you need to protect yourself. But you know they're not going to do it. <laughs> I the other thing that I read this today, uh, uh, an op ed in uh, in a uh, medic a Med Report uh, uh, journal. Uh, was by a pediatrician who was suggesting that uh, children under 12 probably should not be immunized if they are in good health. Uh, if they have any complicating illnesses, diabetes, uh, asthma, uh, obesity, or any of or any, any comorbidity, colon illness, then they should be vaccinated. But his point was is that otherwise healthy children have essentially a zero mortality with COVID. They get sick, they're sick for a few days, and then they're well. Uh, and he said the uh, the even though the risk from the uh, vaccination is very very low, it's higher than zero. And uh, so his his point was is that we should be using those vaccines that were given to those kids for people who are at greater risk. Uh, we no longer seem to have a shortage of vaccines, so I'm not sure that that's an issue but it, well the, I, the, the, the it, place the place where it becomes need?
0: an issue I think first of all if if you're doing the risk of covid versus risk to the kid uh you, you still you know it's it's not actually zero even for really tiny kids um it, it's it's uh it's small though it is definitely small. Um, I think the argument is stronger that the vaccines should go to the higher risk first before you get down to really young kids. Um, But as you said, in the U.S. at this point, we're close to the saturation point where at this point, you know, not everybody's vaccinated, but all the people who want to, we're getting close to the point. Yeah. Like I said, not quite there. There are still people. Who don't have it, not because they don't want it, but because there hasn't been an easy way for them to get it yet. Yeah. But we've so we've got more supply than we've got demand at this point in the U.S. But that is not true worldwide.
1: Uh, Biden announced today that we're going to donate 500 million doses to the rest of the world, uh, to to nations in need, because uh, we we do have, you know, we we can meet our needs without uh, withholding, if if you will. And so he's trying to encourage all of the G7, the the G7s are supposedly as a group going to donate a billion doses total, but the United States alone is going to do somewhere around 500 million.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's actually the right thing to do. Now I I'm still in favor of get the kids vaccinated as, as quickly as possible uh, because even, even when they aren't endanger themselves they are still potentially a vector of spread now apparently there were there were some studies that they don't spread as much as adults either uh the puberty seems to be the dividing line for that um but uh but but e- even young kids have some risk there i i think we should get to the point where the expectation is universal vaccination of the entire population
1: right I absolutely agree with you on that. I yeah, just of, I, just
0: just like we have requirements to go to school for a whole list of vaccinations that every kid has to have before they show up for kindergarten, I think this should go on that list. Yeah, you know, going forward. Yeah. Um, but but I think it is critically important that we do start really actively thinking about how we handle the rest of the world. Uh and uh you know, Various countries who have not been able to take the lead on vaccination themselves. And, you know, we looked at the stats uh, last week on the show. Let me bring them up again. For the full world right now, uh, it's only 6.3% of the population fully vaccinated. That's really tiny. And, you know, the world isn't, you know, no one is safe until everybody is safe is one way to put it. Now, of course, certain people are going to be safer than others. If you're fully vaccinated, you're going to be in good shape and blah, blah, blah. But if you're talking about protecting the people who can't get vaccinated in your society, protecting against the outbreaks that come in from the random traveler from a part of the world that is less vaccinated, etc., you want to get as quickly as you can to the point where the whole world is vaccinated too. Um, you know, so once we get, you know, like like you said, we're essentially at the point where supply is outstripping the demand in the U.S., um, and so yeah, time to start giving it away elsewhere. Um, <laughs> and uh, Biden's doing that, which is great. Uh, it could probably be done at an even greater pace. Um, yep. But well, uh, as
1: fast as they can make it, and part of that <clears throat> part of that may come in encouraging the uh, Pfizer and Moderna to uh, uh, either extend you know to other factories to be able to make it or to uh surrendering some of their patent rights uh so that other people can make the vaccine um but uh that that's another whole ball I I, I see that today uh Johnson and Johnson has been ordered to destroy another 60 million doses that that stupid factory screwed up
0: yeah and there, well there's also a bunch of J&J sitting around about to expire as well if i understand yeah. correctly yeah uh, just be because nobody wants the J&J because everybody's like, I want the, the Pfizer or Moderna. The J&J is like, you know, that's the... Yeah. That, well, know. their
1: reputation has been badly damaged by all this crap. The, the other thing that came out uh, today that I thought was kind of interesting was a, uh, a group of uh, fairly prominent uh, uh, infectious disease physicians uh, and... Uh, and uh, consultants are recommending that the FDA not, not yet make this uh, an approved vaccine, that it should remain on the uh, emergency use mm. authorization. The reasoning is is that we will not know fully the science of, of the uh, side effects and, and other things of this stuff for another six to 12 months, and that we should not rush it to full approval. Until we go through the entire scientific documentation of how safe and effective it is, that takes longer than we're we're at. On the other hand, the advantages of making it, if once they approve it, then the military can order soldiers to get it. You can't, no longer is it, you know, voluntary. Uh, Likewise, hospitals can say, you're going to work here, you have to be vaccinated.
0: Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I mean, normally I'd say, of course, wait for the whole process, blah, blah, blah. But the, A, this was an emergency situation. I mean, the whole world was freaking shut down for over a year. Um, yeah. But also at this point, I'm sorry, the cat's out of the bag.
1: No, no. I've, <laughs> no. They're not saying to stop doing vaccinations. They're no, no, I know, I know. I know. I know that. I'm saying like Keep the difference between the,
0: emer- the practical difference between emergency use and full release at this point, like saying, oh, we should stay at emergency until we really finish the studies. I mean, come on, you've got like such a huge percentage of the population already taking this thing. Like you're not saving anybody additional by not going to full. I don't. I mean, you've effectively already fully released it, except for the couple of scenarios that you just outlined.
1: Yeah. Well, any, anyway, I, I, it was interesting. And these are, these are guys who are good thinkers. So I... Uh, it, there it's not universal that we should just run out and do it but it's not like that's drug for alzheimers that they just approved
0: i, I was going to potentially ask you about that once we finish talking covid so let's let's finish with covid and then maybe i'll ask you about that for a minute before we finish up
1: okay <laughs> the other thing that i'm finding disturbing is that the uh, the last two mutations that have occurred the one in india and i think the other was england appear to be more infectious mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in in other words uh it takes a smaller dose, and more people can get affected per person who's giving you know giving it away The reason this becomes important is that the we've been assuming on the basis of the data of that early on in the epidemic that we would need to have between sixty five and seventy five percent of people. Immunized to get the advantage of of this so-called herd immunity. Mm-hmm. If this stuff is more infectious, that number goes up. Right. And it could be as high as 80, 90%. percent mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it so that might change the whole calculations of do we say do we say say, well, it's all right at 40%, don't get it.
0: Well, and just to be clear what the herd immunity thing means, um, that's when there are enough people with immunity. That it can't spread effectively even under even across the population that isn't immune, yeah, so it's when do you have enough vaccinated people or people who've actually had it and recovered uh and are still carrying around some immunity from that um that even unvaccinated uninfected people aren't at danger aren't in danger either,
1: um, well, but we you need to keep in mind though that it's. That's not quite the way it is. People who are unvaccinated are still in danger. What we don't see is epidemic spread.
0: Yes. They they are in danger if they become exposed. Uh, And that, and that will always be true.
1: And if someone in a group, let's say one of these churches that all go together. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. But the the chances they're going to get sick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. If you're, It's your chances of becoming exposed, even if you do not have immunity, drop significantly. Now, if you do get exposed, you're still screwed, (laughs) you know, but but your chances of becoming exposed drop significantly because there's just not enough material out there for the virus to spread effectively.
1: Yes. So we don't we don't see what happened last summer and what happened December. That's right. But uh, there's still risk, and as I said, people, you know, the the only child I ever had die of chicken pox was a close friend with leukemia. Uh, And uh, we didn't have a vaccine for chicken pox yet, and this kid got exposed just as she was finishing uh, her chemotherapy and got chicken pox and died because it's deadly for those kids. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, no one was getting chicken pox because all the kids we're immune, right? Well, they some did.
0: Yeah. Um. So, do do you think with with everything you know about the variance, the vaccination rate, the ways in which people are sort of dropping precautions left and right, including unvaccinated people dropping precautions left and right, uh, do you think our strong downward trend? either in the U S or worldwide is just going to continue. And this, you know, we'll, we'll basically get down to the point where, you know, a few months from now in the U S we're not worrying about this anymore. Anybody worrying about this anymore. Um, or, or are we going to see another couple waves, hopefully smaller waves still yet to come because people are being sloppy and lots of people aren't getting vaccinated.
1: I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to have another wave, and my prediction is it's going to be somewhere around August September,
0: just as people are going back to school and such.
1: And I'm apparently I'm not alone on that. We we were planning on a tour up into uh, Alaska and Canada in uh, in late August, and it just got canceled. So I must not be alone in thinking that that there's a risk of this summer. The nation of Canada is still very concerned.
0: Well, the nation nation of Canada is still um, having, yeah, a, a fairly significant problem that they're working through, and they were, and and they they took the they're one of the countries that took the strategy of everybody get their first dose first, and then we'll worry about second doses. So I, I was just looking at the charts. I, I have it up in front of me right now. Canada actually just surpassed Israel for the number of people who have received one dose, they are now at 63.6%, hmm. uh, you know, which is amazing for one dose yep. uh, for two doses though. They've really just started accelerating people getting their second dose and are only at about uh, just under 10% right now.
1: You know, that reminds me of the other, the other thing is that the, uh, apparently the India variant um with only one dose, uh, is only about thirty to forty percent effective. Mm. Uh, the second dose gets them up in over ninety ninety five, but the first dose only gives them thirty to thirty five forty percent protection. Uh, unlike the other, which gets you up to eighty. Right. With, with what we've been dealing with, so that's that's another sign that the variants are uh, not going to be nice to us.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah
1: so yeah i don't i i think I, mostly because people are have just i mean i don't see anyone with a mask anymore um in the stores uh, anywhere else I, I i'm you know i'm i'm vaccinated and I have a mask on and everyone else is walking around and i know most of them don't have it uh interesting the uh the checkout uh, clerks that are at the grocery store I go to they are all masked up mm-hmm. Uh, the meat counter guy is not, but he's also four or five feet away from people.
0: Right. You know, I just saw for the first time, I, I you know, I, I still very, very rarely am going inside places. Like I avoided that anyway, even before the pandemic. I just don't like it. I don't like going into stores. I prefer buying my stuff online. I'll only do that if I absolutely have to. So I don't do that all that often. Um, so I haven't been observing really what's going on inside places very much. Um, uh, but, but I noticed for the very first time yesterday or the day before, I I guess it was uh, yesterday, I went through a fast food drive through, uh, with my son and there was a sign on the window there saying that, you know, we are allowing our fully vaccinated employees to go without masks um unvaccinated employees are still expected to wear masks so basically warning you that you know look we are changing the policy for our employees too it actually said rest assured if you see them without a mask we have verified their vaccination status
1: yeah and and i think that's the way to do it
0: now of course you know anybody can Forge one of those little cards, right? But you know, uh but you know, at, le- at least it's something, right? And so I noticed the particular person who was serving me was still wearing a mask, which is fine. um I wore a mask even though I was going through the drive-through. Just like I've said on the show before, I wear it sort of out of politeness to respect the other person, less out of you know, and certainly not out of worry for me. I'm fully vaccinated. I'm very unlikely, certainly in that scenario, like I'm pulling up at a drive-through. I'm at Almost zero risk, yep. even if the person on the, even if the person on the other side was fully infected and coughing on me actively, you know, uh, I mean, maybe then, but, uh, uh but, but yeah, so I wore a mask, but I'm noting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much sort of scoping out where I do or do not wear masks. And there've been more notices about work and there've been more, more people at my employer, Um, who are going in, like I've been, I was on a conference call with somebody earlier today or yesterday, I don't know, they all blend into each other, um, who start off by saying, look, I'm at work, (laughs) you know, because they'd actually gone into the office. And there they also have policies that say, you know, you show your vaccination card and then you can uh, freely go without a mask. But if you're not vaccinated yet, you're still expected to wear a mask, etc. But honestly, it's all it's all honor system. Uh, you never know, but it, but that's that's all you can do, right
1: but it and I'll tell you it's clearly still there my my wife did not get her hair cut for over a year because she 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 was much more careful than I have been mm-hmm. uh, but then, about four weeks ago, she went in and got her haircut' cause she's been fully vaccinated and doing well uh the the haircutter uh greeted her, and they chatted. Talked and the lady cut her hair. She went back again uh, two days ago to get her next hair cut. and uh, the young woman who cut her hair came down with COVID. She and her husband both, uh, either one or two days after she cut my wife's hair four weeks ago. Mm. So it's, I mean, it it is still there. Yep. And for people who are not vaccinated, it's a major issue, and they just, I don't think they believe it. I, you know, they just, they just. Don't believe it.
0: Yep. Um, so I guess the, uh, the one other last note I have on this, I mentioned on the show last week that I'd sort of, you know, myself and my wife set our personal standard for when we'll kind of act like things are basically normal again. We want to see our counties' average cases per week, our a- average week. Aver- trailing seven-day average of cases per week drop below where it was like last September, uh, which was a, a time where everybody was sort of loosening up a little bit, and we 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 weren't completely wide open, but we'd allowed like a, a little bit more latitude. Um, and I was looking at the charts very carefully day after day and it was dropping rapidly week over week and uh, it, at the rate it was going within another two, two weeks, maybe we would have been at that level and I would have been like, yay, we can have my son's friend over for a play date again and all this kind of stuff. <sighs> it seems to be leveling out. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, damn it, damn it, damn it. Damn it you know let's let it go down come on oh, you know yeah, but- I'm,
1: I'm afraid that that's maybe what we're gonna see is it's gonna stay at this level for a while there's still several hundred people a day dying in the country yeah and it's uh, you know and that really has been level between two to six hundred every day for several weeks now I, I keep following it I keep thinking it's gonna start back up. <laughs> But fortunately, if if anything, it's going down slightly.
0: Yeah, so I'm looking at the the U.S. seven-day average deaths right now. Uh, As of June 11th, uh, it's 407, Yeah, uh, which is uh, like on June 5th, it was actually down under 400 for a couple days, bopped back up again. It's been kind of flat for a few days. So uh, it, 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 the overall trend is still down, but slowly down.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And like you said, I, 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 flat or even slightly up again wouldn't shock me. I would be surprised if we ended up, you know, having a really big spike again. Um. But I wouldn't be surprised by small spikes, and I wouldn't be su- and I wouldn't be surprised by sort of leveling out. And just getting to a new plateau for a while. I don't know, because I, I feel like to get past that, you really need to break through to some of these people who are resisting vaccination at this point. Okay, okay so I, I guess enough about COVID. You did mention that Alzheimer's drug. So I did want to get your thoughts on that as well.
1: I, I find that a, a kind of a disturbing approval for several reasons. So,
0: so wait, wait. What what's the, what's the background here? What was the drug, and what happened? What 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 was approved? What wasn't?
1: I, 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 well, I don't know much about the drug. It's one of these that ends in MAB that uh, puts it into uh, in sort of a uh, the, the new kind of drugs. Anyway, its purpose is it removes the uh, uh, amyloid plaques, uh, or at least slows down the deposition of amyloid. And current thinking is. <coughs> That amyloid gets into the brain cells and messes up the fibrils so that the brain cells can't work right and the the thinking is if we get rid of the amyloid, the brain will go back to normal,
0: yeah, because um, this has been highly correlated with alzheimer's people people with Alzheimer's have high levels of this, people without Alzheimer's have lower levels, but the causal relationship isn't isn't determined for sure yet, right? yeah you
1: know, there's even a blood test now that tests for a uh, a derivative of this amyloid in the blood that is apparently very sensitive for diagnosing Alzheimer's uh, probably before symptomatic, one to two years before symptoms occur, which I don't know that I would want the blood test, but that's... It, like, another, it's one another of those drug.
0: things where you don't want to know? Yeah. yeah.
1: And what this drug is intended to do is to slow down the progression by Defeating the amyloid and and preventing its deposition, or at least slowing it. Uh, What they found in the studies, and this is, and and that sounds great. If it if it works, that then and that would be fine. In the studies they did, what it showed was approximately twenty percent slowing of the Alzheimer's. So instead of being say say in five years the, the person goes from normal to profoundly demented, that's not how it goes, but say it would be five years. The group that they were experimenting on might take six years to get that far along. So it slows down the progression of the disease about 20%. Well, I have a couple problems with that. Number one, that's not a a very serious slowing down of the disease. Number two, uh, Patty Reagan just Gave an interview this week, and and she makes a point that I think is really valid. And she says, you know, when my father was in the early stages of his Alzheimer's, is the only time that he was in pain and frightened because he would he knew he had Alzheimer's, and every time he would forget something, he would look just petrified because it knew it was getting worse. She says, what you're doing is you're prolonging that period. Once Mm. he got. Further along, he wasn't frightened anymore. It didn't bother me. Was was not as not in that psychic pain, right? Uh, so I'm not sure that there's that damn much benefit from well, this Well, but drug. but
0: also like part of the controversy here, right, is that there the studies of that have been done on this are contradictory. There's one study, like apparently, there's agreement that it actually does reduce the the plaque, the amyloid plaque, yeah. or whatever you call it. that. It, it does, uh, but there. The question of does it actually help with the symptoms of the disease, whether it's slowing it down or otherwise, there've been the studies don't agree. Like there has yep. been, there was one study that shows a, a good good effect, or like you said, maybe it's debatable whether it's good or not. It slows it down a little bit, but there have been other studies that show it doing nothing. Yeah, and so there's a, there's a, actually a significant question still on. Is this actually a useful treatment at all? Um, and so a lot of people are upset, saying like the FDA shouldn't have approved this yet. They should have said more study is required.
1: Yeah, I, it, that that would be what I would think. I mean, it's profoundly expensive. This is even if this <clears throat> doesn't hurt you anyway, it's going to wipe people's uh, financial resources what? out.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, of course, one of the things you've heard people say as well, is that this wasn't a proper decision on the science. This was, you know, hey, the pharmaceutical companies want to make some money. Uh, and I don't I don't know if that's fair or not, but... Uh, I, I don't
1: know if that's fair, but I, I do know that uh, more likely it was, well, we don't have anything, let's give them something.
0: Yeah, I've definitely heard that as well. Yeah. This is like the first thing that's been approved for Alzheimer's in what, like 20 years or something? Yeah. It's it's been a long time and there's no there's no really effective treatments out there. And so yeah, it's it's the well maybe it'll help. Better than nothing, why not try it? kind of thing. But I'm I'm not sure. And and maybe that's like an excuse to like widen trials for people who are interested in that sort of thing. But I, I don't know if that's uh that's enough for the seal of approval that yes, this is a a good drug let's move forward with it let's tell people it helps i mean you're going to start seeing ads on tv for this shit
1: oh yeah oh absolutely and people will be taking it and and they'll be suing their insurance company that says no we don't cover that stuff and uh, you know the lawyers will get rich the pharmaceuticals will get rich and a lot of people will get broke
0: with questionable impact to the actual outcomes for the patients
1: absolutely right yeah i think the the, the so called beneficial impact. I suspect that some people question whether that's a benefit. Right? You know, it, it's it, it's kind of hard to say. Well, gee, it is twenty percent, but I think what she says is is very true. I, I, you know, my father went through dementia. I remember how frightened he was. You yeah. know, if if it even yeah. does that. Yeah.
0: Okay. I think we're done, Ed.
1: <laughs> Sounds reasonable.
0: Ah, uh, thank you for joining us again. It's always great to have you. Uh, and uh, yeah. you, a, as usual, uh, when we have these uh, substitutions, it tends to be fairly last minute. So, uh, thank you for joining us with just a few hours' notice, really. Um, uh, and um, yeah, so I, I guess it's time for the usual stuff at the end of the show. Hey, Ed, you you listen to this all the time, Ed? Do you do you want to say the things that we say at the end of the show?
1: Uh, no, you can say them. <laughs> <laughs> I am very bad at that sort
0: of thing. Okay, well, here you go. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, there are a number of ways you can do that. Uh, first of all, Facebook, facebook.com slash curmudgeon's corner. Um, and I actually heard a rumor lately. Uh, I saw this on Twitter earlier today, and I haven't verified it yet that uh, Facebook is going to add a direct podcast integration so that you can set up the Facebook page so that it will look at your podcast feed and just show a player directly on it whenever you have a new episode, which would be great. Right now I sort of have, you know, I post the episodes to my blog and there's a plugin that then posts it to a Facebook page and, you know, and and the Facebook page just links back to the blog post, which links to which the blog post has a player on it, and then buttons for like a quick subscribe in iTunes and a few other things but like it's kind of a, a really janky setup um and um yeah so so it'd be nice if they did that, although you know I don't know like you occasionally comment on the facebook uh, page uh, ed but i I don't know that anybody else is really there very often uh so it's is-
1: i i primarily do it so that it'll catch the eye of some of the the people that i uh communicate with in the hopes that they will become regular listeners
0: which is great and we appreciate that ed uh you know so that, yeah that's what we what we want people to do right go to the facebook page share the posts comment on them like them and it, it gets shown to other people and uh interesting stuff there um but yeah, we, we technically speaking, there are like thousands of people who've liked that Facebook page, but that doesn't translate into engagement or listeners. And it's, we, we advertised on Facebook for a while, and we found it was very effective at driving likes to the Facebook page, but not particularly effective at actually getting more listeners. <laughs> so we stopped that. Um, anyway, if you don't like Facebook, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Ablesmay. Well, you can find me on Twitter. And you can find Yvonne, who's my usual co-host on Twitter. But you will not find Ed on Twitter. <laughs> Ed does not like Twitter. Uh, but I am at Abelsme A-B-U-L-S-M-E. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have any comments for Ed, feel free to send them my way and I'll pass them along. Um, and uh, Or you can email us. It's feedback at curmudgeons-corner.com. Uh, and... Um, yeah same thing I'll, I'll I'll gladly get your feedback and if it's for Ed I'll pass it along to him um, and then you know if you really like the show you can go to our Patreon patreon.com slash curmudgeon's corner you can donate a few bucks a month to us uh, and we would love it and use it for all kinds of wonderful things uh, and, uh, and it's, it's just a way to show your support uh, at different levels on the Patreon you can get us mentioning you on the show a postcard a mug Uh, all that kind of thing at $2 a month or more, you can, uh, get invited to our curmudgeons corner Slack, uh, where myself and Yvonne and Ed and some others, um, are sharing interesting links throughout the week and talking and debating about them. Uh, since Yvonne isn't here right now, I, unless you want to do it, Ed, I will mention a few of the things that have come up lately in our curmudgeons corner Slack, oh
1: I was just I was just gonna get ready
0: <laughs> oh, if, you, if you're ready by all means I'd go ahead
1: well, uh, we we had a little brief discussion about the talking about covid the uh, cruise ship that had the the f- crew were all vaccinated and supposedly so were the passengers and yet they have two cases of covid uh, just as they took off <laughs> uh, not sure how that happened <clears throat> and then someone brought up that Lamborghini has completely sold out their cars or at least has sold out so many of them that they are running out. That's really good because the Lamborghini is owned by Volkswagen and I have a little bit of Volkswagen stocks. So that was <laughs> nice to eat. Uh, <laughs> one of our one of our Slack guys wanted me, I mentioned this on Slack, wanted me to go uh, a test drive a Lamborghini. And I pointed out to him that at 79, I can't even get into that car and would have to be lifted out if I did somehow <laughs> manage to get in. So no, I'm not going to go test drive a Lamborghini. And other good stuff like that was in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, very, you know, one other I'll mention that I just posted right as uh, we were getting ready to record the show uh, is a story from the Washington Examiner about a lobster diver who now feels good uh, after he was swallowed by a whale, and the whale apparently spit him out.
1: Yeah, it broke his leg,
0: though. Uh, it turns out it turns out, it was only soft tissue damage. He didn't actually break the bone. Oh, it wasn't
1: broken. Oh, okay. I, I, I just saw it this morning. He, he yeah. thought
0: he broke his bone. It turns out it wasn't quite that bad. But yeah, no. And and also, it was pointed out that um, the type of whale it was couldn't actually swallow a human being whole. Its throat isn't wide enough. Uh, so he was probably only in the whale's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Not actually swallowed any further. <laughs> But the whale did not like him in his mouth, and so spit him back out again.
1: That's good. I (laughs) had uh, one one of my patients in my residency uh, was a guy who got bitten by a shark that also spit him out. But (laughs) he had one hell of a wound. He didn't just have some bruising. He had a laceration at the upper part of the thigh that went from uh, the femoral artery that was exposed but not cut all the way around to the back of the leg where it divided the sciatic nerve. And then the other side of the jaw was at his knee. So that was, that jaw was what, about two and a half, three feet wide. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Ouch. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But he got spit out and fortunately he wasn't diving alone. You know,
0: people have said over and over again, look, the sharks don't actually want to eat the humans. Shark attacks, quote unquote, shark attacks are almost always cases of mistaken identity. The, the shark looks up at you on your surfboard or whatever and thinks you're a seal. Well, th-
1: this guy was uh, uh, diving uh, in a wetsuit, so he would look like a seal, and he was uh, collecting uh, uh, mollusks for dinner. Some company had come, and they, he was out to get uh, uh, some conks for, for dinner. So he's, he was doing what a seal would do, getting conks to eat. And so the shark said, "Well, there's my dinner." And but it didn't 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 kill him, but it did permanently. Uh, uh, you know, the side ache nerve is kind of important, and so he uh, didn't ever walk again very well. He walked, but not very well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and aside, aside from the sort of random topics, we also talked about all the usual political things you would expect uh, in terms of the latest with the infrastructure deal and. You know, the the president's going off to Europe. We didn't really talk about that today because that's still in progress and no big news has really come out of it yet. Um, and, uh, the, you know, there's some things about uh, the the whole Donald Trump clearing Lafayette Park and a report that came out about that that says, no, really, it wasn't about that. But then lots of people bringing up a lot of reasons to doubt that anyway, etc. You know, all the usual, basically, if it's been in the news lately, we've probably talked about it. There you go. Okay, so that's it. Hey, if you if you like the show and have friends you think would like it, do what Ed mentioned earlier and share it on Facebook, things like that, or just tell them about it. Uh, you know, say, Hey, you might like this curmudgeon's corner show. We've you know, it sounds like the kind of thing you might be into, and maybe they'll join us too. Uh and then they will listen, they will hate it, and then they will n- you know never listen to your advice again because you sent them to us. But you know, <laughs> That's how it goes sometimes. Anyway, uh, tell your friends, review us wherever there are podcast reviews. Otherwise, uh, you know, thanks once again, Ed, for joining us. Always love it when you come on to guest host. Yep. And uh, hey, everybody, have a great week. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Later, Ed. Take care.